All right, folks. So um, we are on, and I want to thank everyone for joining and tuning in. Um, you've tuned into Cyril Lab, um, and this is our podcast, and it's called Cyril Talks. And if you've already checked some of our uh, previous ones, you know that the purpose is to highlight women who are um, driving culture, informing culture, um, culture and trends from behind the scenes. And in many cases, we are familiar with their work. Um, we we're familiar and we've probably seen what it is that they do, but we haven't gotten a chance to get to know them. Um, and so this is our opportunity to do that. So um, today we have Amy Andriex, but I want to say it the right way. Amy Andriex. Andrier. Andrier. Yes, I'm going to yes. say <laughs> my Haitian sister. So let's get it right. Amy Andrier um, here with us today. And I mean, I'm, there's so many things I can say, but I will say just to start off that she's a perfect example um, because she has worked in the media space. She's worked with so many amazing brands. Um, she's a storyteller and um, she currently works at, she's the executive director and chief curator at the Mokata Museum um, in Brooklyn. And she's also a professor at the School of Design. And, and you guys don't know this yet, but I've known Amy for many, many years. We're going to get into this. And so on top of all that, I'm just so proud of her. Um, and I mean, yeah, I've just, I'm just very excited to catch up. As long as we've known each other, we haven't gotten a chance to, you know, kind of, um, yeah, just talk and, and share. So here she is. Amy. Hey. <laughs> First of all, can I just say, I'm singing your praises. I have been watching you fly. And I'm like, yes, 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 go Nikki. Like, please, like. I am honored to be here. Um, and like you said, just to be able to have a moment to just decompress and catch up is such yes. a beautiful thing. Yes. Sad. I mean, I don't even want to say Sally. I guess with the pandemic, you know, there's a silver lining. I would say Sally, it took a pandemic. But, you know, I would say there's, there's a bit of a silver lining and just, you know, kind of reconnecting and doing things that you didn't necessarily have the time to do or make the do previously. You know, right. we get to see each other, you know, we see each other's <laughs> like on social media, but we don't get a chance to like actually check in directly. Right. So. Yeah, um, I feel like COVID has created a lot of opportunities for us to just kind of pause in general. Yeah. So since March, I've been in reflective mode in the weirdest of ways. Of so, you know, this conversation came right on time. Um, because I've been looking back and saying, oh, wait a minute, I have never had a chance to really do that. Oh my you know? God. Wow. We don't, we all like, come on, you know how, to, how it is. Like we're on our hustle, we're on our grind and we're like, let's just get things done. And before you know it, you're like 10 years, 20 years in and you're like, what did I just do? Right. How? how? <laughs> so. I know, no, it's so true. And I think it's so important to do that. And it is so weird because I think that like in the early stages of our careers, like we are just focused on working and our heads are down. And before you know it, it's like you kind of like, you know, pop up and look around and you're like, oh, I did that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
exactly. And your friends and your friends are like, you know, hey, doing it. And, you know, doing all these amazing things. And it's just, it's exciting and it's inspirational, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also the other thing is during this time, it's like, you know, it's it feels good to be able to not have to look far for inspiration, you know. Yeah, that's real, actually. Yeah. Um, and it gives us a moment to appreciate just how, like you said, how connected we are. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't have to speak to you every day, but I'm always rooting for you, you know? And the fact that I have a moment to say that is awesome. You know, yeah. and it, it reminds me now that maybe I should take a little bit more time for self, you know, and not be such in a rush to get these things done. Right. I know. I feel the same way. It's, it's, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I think as I've just, I think the good thing is that the positive part, you know, when it comes to social media, because obviously there was the we can have all kinds of conversations about it. We do get to keep up and, you know, we are able to, even in our minds as we're scrolling, like say, oh, you know, like, oh girl, you know what I mean? So that's good. And and that's how I've been able to just, you know, when I started doing this podcast, um, you know, I just wanted to really have a good variety and like good representation. And even though I work in the music space, I don't always, I have so many different interests and, I didn't want it to just kind of reflect this one kind of predictable space or group. You know, I think that mm-hmm. we are in so many different, like we're doing this work of like informing culture and injecting yeah. culture with like our perspectives, like across so many different spaces. So I just wanted to like, as I was thinking about it and I was like writing my list, like you were like in my top five, like right away I was like, Oh my God, to be in your top five means everything. Can I get a t-shirt that says top five though? <laughs> like, please? Because I think that would be, like, that would be kind of bananas. Huh? <laughs> serious. I want Sir Talks top five. Like, just. Yeah. I was trying to be like, what is this going to look and feel like? So I was kind of like identifying, you know, like the people to me that were like, okay, if the, if these like, if this like grouping is able to do it, like this to me captures what this is about. You know what I mean? Yes. And I mean, I think it's awesome too, because when you're talking about, I mean, this is the time for us. You know, when we're talking about women doing it, like right now, we are climbing like crazy. We are running industries across the globe. So it's really interesting to kind of like, I can't wait to see how this pans out. because I think the conversations are gonna be inspirational. I think they're gonna be enlightening. Yes. And they're gonna go beyond just what we do. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So kudos. I think for, well, cause I think like for people like us, like what we do is so um, connected to who we are. Yeah. So yeah. it's far behind it. It's like, oh, this is what you do, but oh, by the way, this is why, you know, this matters to me. Yeah. But that's also, I think, why my journey was a little crazy. My my journey was not straight at all. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. Um, like you, have a lot of interest. So I wanted to dabble in everything. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's just say it wasn't straight. I, I, I hit a couple of brick walls, fell a couple of times. Um, and I think that's the point, to remember that it's not going to always be 20 years of straight success over and over and over again. Sometimes, but that's not always the case. And you got to keep pushing, right? Yeah. So. yeah. No, it's not linear. That's actually something oh. that another podcast 
you know, um, of, of uh, another person that I spoke with. And she said that the same thing. I think we, I mean, I definitely, that's definitely part of my journey. So, um, but yeah, so I guess we should jump into it because that's really what I want to be able to um, talk about. Um, because another purpose is, I mean, in highlighting, it's also about people learning and people being able to just um, hear about your journey and, and um, you know, just there to be an educational element to it, you know? Yeah, and to see themselves. Totally, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the first, you know, we'll start, <laughs> wanted to, um, so what would you, what do you call yourself? Like, what do you, hmm. yes. You've that's worn a good kind of hats. Yeah, that's a, here, so I don't want to yeah. do the name. What do you call yourself? <laughs> that's a good question because I have had a lot of titles. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, I think that I would call myself, I think the thing I call myself the most is a culture kid. Okay. I know I'm not a kid anymore. I'm going to be 42 soon. Um, but like, I'm still that kid growing up in the 90s who is obsessed with fashion and music and film and art and all the things. So I am a creature of culture and I'm always finding full, I'm always looking for ways to express that, you know, but from definitely from this global kind of black sensibility. Yeah, I love it. Yes, I like that. It's true. <laughs> can you, you can, that'll hashtag and I'm going to credit you. Can I be no <laughs> Culture <kid? laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, so did you always imagine that this would be your journey? Like when you were <laughs> any idea, did you like kind of think about, you know, what you want to do, what you're for, and kind of feel like have some idea in your mind of what you thought what direction you imagine you were gonna go in? I might have to take a sip on that. <laughs> Happy hour. Yeah, because no, I had no idea. Um, because so many things transpired that kind of made this happen. It was a spiritual, it literally was a spiritual journey. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but like back in the day, I was, you know, in my head, I was going to be an entertainment attorney, um, right? I was going to be an entertainment attorney. And then on the side, I was like this fashion designer, right? It was going to be both things. I don't know how I was planning to do the things, but I was going to do the thing. Um, and then it kind of, it's, you know, you know the saying how God laughs at your plans, right? It's kind of like that. Like I had this plan and then everything I did to make that plan happen kind of just backfired everything like went to Howard was studying law and was just like what am I doing here studying law like I want to be home doing fashion shows so I would go home on the weekends doing fashion shows and um then I started making clothes and I was styling I was back in New York and I was like why am I not enjoying fashion anymore like everything that I had like set my sight on um all the things that I was doing early like in high school that was going to set me up right it didn't make sense anymore for me. Um, but it brought me to the place that I needed to be to have the career I had. Absolutely. You know? So like, yeah, like, I can't even remember how I, some like some of the jobs that I had, like, I don't even know how I got there. It just, 
You know what I mean? It was just like, wait, how? Really, this is happening? Okay. Um, but it was, it literally was an intense journey of paying attention to my instincts, yeah. um, going with the, going with my gut and taking a chance, like sometimes major chances where I hurt myself in the process, but it was more of that than literally having this concrete plan. I think now I'm more so in that space where I feel more comfortable where I can plan. But when I was starting off, hell no. Yeah. No, not even a little bit. Yeah. Even now, yeah, even now it's kind of like, okay, this surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> this is working. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I can relate a thousand percent. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, well, so listeners, Amy and I go back to junior high school. <laughs> so, I was about to say, <laughs> I think we go back to like fronts from Jamaica Ave and Discus t-shirts. Jamaica Avenue, um, yeah, <laughs> colors, yes. <laughs> in my bedroom. Exactly. It was not going to be, wasn't quite my thing, but you know. <laughs> But doobies and mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> All, yes. yes. But the other thing is, I think what I realized down the line, and I think, you know, well, and, and on top of it, I've also moved to LA. So that has really um, opened my eyes. But like, we had such a unique experience, like as, you know, like Haitian, well, first generation, women in New York, you know, because you grow up in a certain, like what you're saying, certain household. Um, yes, the goal is get a, a secure job, follow this traditional path, but yet we are exposed to so much. We're exposed to so much culture and, you know, and, and you know, we're also exposed to it, right? Like as kids, like in my household, I mean, you remember my household, I mean, that was like the house, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but you're encouraged to follow this traditional path. And so we're like trying to marry all of this and like, like stuff it into this one, <laughs> like life. And it's like, wait, this is not necessarily going to work. Like we got to figure this out. Cause I was trying to do the same thing, entertainment law, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, I love music. So how do I like mm -hmm. get a paycheck and a career that my parents can be proud of, but still rap, you know, right. <laughs> work. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the interesting thing, I think the thing that we forget, especially when we're talking about Black women, right? Yeah. We're maybe like four or five generations in of like intergenerational wealth, right? Yes. So because our parents were, you know, successful in their own right, we were able to be experimental. We were able to say, you know what, I'm not going to do the safe thing. I'm going to follow my heart here. Absolutely. Um, so I'm thankful to be, to have been in that space. Um, and to have that ability, you know, because I know there are folks who are having these nine to fives that don't feel right, don't fit, you know, yeah. I couldn't do it. Right. No. And I think that's the thing. Like, I mean, there was so many, that's like a, what you said about trying different things. I mean, that's such a, that is part of the journey. You have to, mm -hmm. you are drawn to certain things and, you know, listening to yourself and knowing what you and listening and, and paying attention to what you really enjoy and what inspires you and then paying attention to what is not, not like good for your, your spirit. You know what I mean? And yeah, personally and professionally. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, I think that that's just a very, that's part of the, the journey, you know, is figuring that out to like help you get to that point where you can focus or, or, or know kind of where to direct your energy. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just like a, and you're still not going to have the answer, but you're like, okay, I'm going to move a little bit more in that direction. I want to know more about this. I want to explore that direction a little bit more. So yeah. yeah, I call it, I call it like recalibrating, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, when your computer is recalibrating, it's that you're almost like picking a lock or something like, a, you know, Absolutely. Um, trying to figure it out. What are the, what is the code this year, <laughs> you know, versus, um, but it, it, it keeps me on my toes yeah. for sure. No, totally. Um, so, okay. Now, I guess you went to Howard. Did you? This is so fun. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being like cheap ball right now. But seriously, I'm so happy to. to be here. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you've really, like, you've really carved out a path, and I think it's so important for people to hear, like, how you've gone about doing it. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. You, you have purpose in your work too you know what I mean and mm -hmm. that that's you know people need to hear about it so so here we are talking about it um, yeah. <laughs> um so when you were in college okay so you mm -hmm. went to Howard you were studying law did you start kind of exploring in college were you maybe like looking into internships or um doing anything no, no? it started before that it started way before that um, in high school, you know, I don't know if you remember, I used to do those little like fashion shows. I used to do all the, what's it called again? Oh my goodness. What was that? Uh, I can't even remember what it's called now, but they used to be these fashion shows at Jacob Javits Center. And it was like this huge hip hop. Why can't I remember? I feel so old, but I can't remember. Um, but I used to do like, uh -huh. but I used to do like those fashion shows. I used to do all the urban brands, like the uh what was it like early not even like uh walk aware um all of that stuff like mecca i used to do those shows okay. so i was already starting to build like connects because i thought i was going to be a fashion designer um and i started taking uh college classes at fit while i was in high school okay because i wanted to get a head start um i remember at one point i think it was like 16 i reached out to beth ann hardison like you need to be my mentor what's popping crazy she looked at me like I was nuts <laughs> didn't happen um which is funny because uh I met her later in year in in life and uh we built a connection off of that um, um but yeah so I started early and when I got to college actually you know I did all of the like music industry college rep stuff like I did some college rep work for Sony I remember it was like Lauren Hill Lauren Hill's album um i did some stuff for electra at one point um because I, again i really thought i was going to be this entertainment attorney um but college for me was really like um a come to jesus moment it was just like i don't know if this is what i really want to do yeah. it feels fun in terms of like you know when you're younger you care about the attention that you get from what you do right yeah. um so it felt right in that sense but it didn't feel right like I didn't feel fulfilled a hundred percent. So the journey from that point was just exploring what, what would fulfill me, 
you know, and I was trying to pay attention to what I was doing in my quiet moments away from everyone else to see if that was the way. So I started writing, you know, um, and there was something there. I didn't know what it was, but there was something there. And I just kind of held on to it in the back of my mind. But I kept pushing. I kept doing what I was doing already, you know, like the shows, the studying law, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's one yeah and the thing is like you know we kind of have this thing where we need to we end up focusing on a career path and we have yeah. to um, experts or specialize in a certain area but it doesn't mean that we have different interests or, or right you know? and honestly and honestly i didn't feel safe to explore then mm-hmm. you know like because in the back of my mind it was like you got to stay focused you right. got to stay focused on this task, right? This career. Yeah. Um, so I kind of put, like, I kind of put blinders on so that I wouldn't move off course. But um, my weekends and my trips back to New York was when I could, like, expand. Okay. But when I was on campus, it was just, like, focus. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, on the weekends, like I said, I would be modeling. I started doing marketing for, like, um, was it like uh, Spirit Biwak, the outdoor clothing brand? I did marketing for Triple Five Soul. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I did marketing for Platform.net, which was like the early days of like oh, the, the yeah the internet boom or whatever. Because um, I knew I was interested in technology too. Okay. Um, and then I started styling for Mass Appeal magazine, and then I said, you know what, I gotta I gotta do this. Okay. more and again the more like I was working as an assistant to um, Pierre Cortez who was like a big fashion stylist at the time um, and I was having fun doing it but I wanted to be the boss <laughs> like honestly I did not want to be an assistant I didn't want to be chasing after models I didn't want to do any of that um, so I tried to figure out how I could get a job at a magazine yeah and uh, one day I was uh, driving my car and there was like a magazine stand and I saw this dope ass magazine. It was like all the, like the window was filled with the same copy of like 20 copies of the same magazine, same issue. And I was just like, yo, what is that? I literally pulled my car over, ran into the shop and bought like three copies and it was traced. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, how old was I? I think I had just turned 21. Um, And I literally called them because we weren't really emailing like that. But I called them, I faxed my resume like for three weeks straight. I would not let up. I was just like, I know I have to work here. Wow. Um, And Claude, the owner at the time, um, told me he didn't like me. (laughs) He literally was like, I don't like you. You're arrogant. He was like, you're really arrogant. I was just like, I know this job is for me. So oh, I love it. Okay. So he told yeah, so he told me to write um an essay on why I should have the job. Um I wrote the essay, sent it in, and I think a week later he said, Can you come in? I came in, gave me the keys to the office, and was just like, I'm out for three weeks. I'm gonna I'm going to Brazil to hang out with my friends, figure it out. And in that three week period, I literally learned the magazine business and was just, I was on a path. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So much there. <laughs> I know. 
Um, well, for, for people who are listening, first of all, Trace was such a great um, publication. Like, it was just ahead of its time, I think, right? Like, it really, totally. um, the diaspora. Yep. Magazine that was covering that in a very, like, downtown. Yeah. But very street way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, in a very, and, and just in a very beautiful way, great photography. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, really like, yeah, very, very, it was like Tumblr before Tumblr. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish Trace still existed today. I mean, it does on, on the TV side, but Trace Magazine, I wish it still existed today because right now is the time for it. Yeah. You know, we, like we were doing Black Girls Rule in 2000, 2001, you know, and now it's like Black Girls Rock, right. which is really interesting. So, yeah, no, I mean, I remember being super drawn to it also. You know, I was like, oh, like this, it felt like, yeah, you saw yourself in it. Like, totally. yeah, and it was global. It was global. Yeah. Um, so, so just so that the folks know, you know, Google's and all that to learn more about Trace. Um, and then you'll also get an idea of where a lot of other things, it, it probably <laughs> a lot of things and you probably don't realize it. But once you see, sometimes you see the source and you're like, oh, that's where that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's Trace. And then also, so what we're hearing is Amy goes after things. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> like, I so, so, you know, and we always talk about that, right? Like, they always say, like, you should, what's the expression that you should envision yourself somewhere? And I forget. Oh, God. My cousin was just telling me to do it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you're like, that's where I should be. So that's where I'm going to be. But it's not usually in my head first. It's usually I feel something. Yeah. And, but, and but, then I'm following that. Right. And that's so important. That's so mm -hmm. important that it's not just what you feel and you, it's not just like a passing like, oh, that's cute. And you keep driving. You kept driving. You were like, wait, I need to know more. And before mm -hmm. it, that image that you saw on the street, you were like now a part of, of it. You know, you were involved yeah. and driving it. So that's incredible. Um, take note, people. <laughs> yeah, but I also sacrificed a lot too. Okay. Because I, you know what I mean? Like, so while it was fun to be in this space, um, the interesting thing about Trace is that they had just moved here from, or moved to the States from the UK. Um, so the team was just like the owner, the fashion director, and an intern. So here I come in and I'm filling in all the little slots that need to be filled, right? Um, so while all my friends were partying in their early 20s, I was working. Like I was working 24 seven, like 24 seven. So by the time I was 25, I became publisher, wow. which was crazy, right? Um, and then, you know, I was, even before that, I was managing editor of the US, the UK and the French editions. And then I became publisher and I was just like, what am I doing? Like, do I even know what I'm doing? Like I'm 25. <laughs> I need to like sit down somewhere. You didn't miss anything at those parties. <laughs> Best and believe I was at the party. <laughs> another couch, another bottle. Right. Got right. It. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Take it home. You're good, girl. You're good. <laughs> right. 
Meanwhile, you are a publisher, okay? <laughs> you didn't miss out on anything, trust me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, honestly, I mean, those were, I think that was, um, those were the years where I got to play the most. And I think it became, like, it solidified um, what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it, how I wanted to, how I wanted to deliver it. Yes. Um, you know, in the community I wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really interesting. Um, and we were all so young. Like, everyone was under 32. Wow. Um, but doing, like, crazy stuff. Like, okay, let's put Iman on the cover. Mm. Okay. Like, you know, it, let's give Rihanna her first cover. Like, stuff like that. So it was, it was really an iconic moment for us, for all of us who were part of that scene. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you were there for, you said, about five years. Yeah, about, no, I left, I was there about six and a half years. I left, I was a publisher for about a year and some change. Um, I let the parties get to my head and was just like, I need to take a break. I need to live my life. I've done everything I can do here. Um, Yeah, because we had launched, um, during that time, we had launched, uh, we had brokered a deal with Goldman Sachs and launched TV network in France. Okay. And then it was just like, okay, we got the TV network and we got the magazines and we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, this is a lot. I haven't lived yet. Like I went from high school to college to pretty much this, you know, I need to breathe. Right. Um, so from there, I literally was, <laughs> this was me taking a break. Um, I started doing marketing. I was a marketing consultant from different countries. Okay. okay. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like Brazil... Mexico, Ecuador, India, Japan, South Africa, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so relationships you developed while you were at Trace? Or how you, well, yeah, sort of. Um, so a friend of mine who was a publicist for Trace at one point decided to leave earlier than me and okay. started her own company, uh, focusing on travel marketing, consulting, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're not doing anything right now. Why don't you consult on these companies? Because you know the internet. Oh, I forgot all about that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, um, I got to rewind a little bit. While I was at Trace, we also launched an advertising agency. Okay. Um, so I was doing a lot of development work for like web platforms, um, advertising campaigns for like Adidas, Levi's, Moet, etc. So that when I went to Latitude as a consultant, I was leveraging all the things I'd learned at Trace to do as a consultant for these different countries. Right. Wait, can we rewind really quick? <laughs> sure. You, well, this is for people who are listening. So when you say you were a publisher, so what did that, what does that mean? Like what did, okay. yeah. That, that's a very good question. So when you're in the magazine world, which is, you know, dying, um, there are two different tracks you can take. You can take the editorial track where you, are focusing on writing and the actual copy um, that's in the magazine. Um, so the text, the photos, etc. Um, or you can focus on the business side, which is like bringing advertisers in, um, getting sponsorship for events, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was on both sides of the company, which is very rare in media. Um, but as publisher, I was the engine driving uh, I guess the strategic plan for the year um, and ensuring that each of the teams were meeting their or hitting their marks. So that was my job. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> and making sure we save money, but make money. Yeah. Again, at 25, thinking that way was really interesting. Right, big responsibility. And I mean, really, I think in a way you can kind of look at it as it was kind of like graduate school, you know? Totally, kind of like the totally. Like if you had gone to, you know, law school or medical school, you yeah. would have been writing during those years anyway. You would have been learning. So it was like a good way to kind of put a foundation in place to assert, yeah. yeah, to understand that business. But I also saw that, okay, so you also kind of, you also went, you, you touched on the fact that you had started writing more. So did you make a decision to move into the media space? Did you say, I want to explore like journalism? No, it was, again, I was still a little bit afraid um, because I think I still don't consider myself a writer, writer, you know, um, because I have friends who are journalists. Like, um, even though I have a career in that space, I don't think, I don't see myself as that. Um, so when I went to Trace, I was actually looking to get into the fashion department because I wanted to be a fashion director at that point. Mm. I was like, forget fashion design, forget, you know, styling for these people. I want to be the boss. Let me be the fashion director. Fine, I'll learn from this French lady here, but <laughs> like I'm gonna eventually have your job. Um, and because you know, when Claude left the keys with me and was just gone, I had to learn everything. So it again, God laughs at your plans, right? So I'm like, I'm gonna be fashion director, and the universe is like, nah, you're gonna learn all of this and you're gonna run this whole thing. Yeah. Like what you were thinking was too small. You know what I mean? Um so that's what happened. Um, but I continued to do both even when I was publisher. Um, so when I was publisher, I was still writing as well for the magazine. Okay, and were you managing a staff? Yep. Um, so when I was managing editor, I was managing the US, the UK, and the French teams. Um, in the US at the time, we had about, I would say like five people in-house, but we had like a stable of freelancers. Um, and then in the UK, I think there were about maybe four people. And then France was just like kind of loose, okay. different people who popped in at different times. Right. Um, but then when I became publisher, it was literally the entire advertising and marketing team, plus all of editorial. Um, and I was just focusing on the US when I was publisher at that point, but also working with Goldman Sachs and ensuring that we were meeting our marks with our deliverables for them, you know, because now they, they were investors. Wow. Major. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I don't know about major. Crazy. Yeah. So. You know, both, <laughs> both things at once, you know. This is true. <laughs> um, okay, so with Trace was your entry point, and then you yeah. went, you were consulting for these different countries. countries. Okay. Yeah, and that was supposed to be my downtime. And at the same time, I was, you know, taking on some clients here and there, um, my own clients. Um, uh, you know, focusing on campaign development, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, that was interesting because it was a time for me to breathe. Mm -hmm. um, but I was bored. Mm -hmm. Like, Trace foiled me with um, my, with autonomy, to be honest. Yeah. And I, you know, I needed to taste it again and figure yeah. out if I could do it in a different space. Right. So I ended up at MTV.com. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I was building MTV.com, literally, like the website, okay. um, building programming for MTV.com. And I was the one of two women on the entire 
uh, uh, tech team and the only black person on the tech team. So that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would build the VMAs, like all the stuff, early years of when like um, MTV was still cool. <laughs> it was just like, it was still something. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to work with some amazing talent like Amy Winehouse at the time, you know, um, just kind of creating innovative programming on mobile and digital. Okay, and that's what I was going to ask. So it was when you say building. So it was the the program and the content. It wasn't like coding, was it? It was all of the above. Like I code. Like I taught myself how to code because I was obsessed with just technology over the years. So it was like a little kind of like hobby for me. Um, but by the time I got to MTV.com, I had mastered it enough where I was on par with people who had studied it. Wow. Um, so I got the gig. Yeah. No, I mean, I think <laughs> definitely a time of, um, you know, what, while sites were being, while the, the internet was kind of obviously. Beginning, really. Yeah. It was a time where, you know, a lot of people who, if you wanted to kind of create a platform or if you were working on something, you had to figure out the internet. Right. Like, like starting to learn it myself a little bit, just because of whatever I was working on before you know it, you're like trying to figure out, yeah, like coding and all kinds of things. You're like, wait, how do I know this? You know? Um, so yeah, I feel like that was like a certain time. So, okay. So MTV, um, what was that? Can you still hear me the same? Because I, I have to charge my phone because my phone is starting to. Oh yeah, I can totally hear you. Um, so, Okay, so how was that? Because that must have been like a pretty drastic um, change, like to go from a place like Trace to MTV, which is like, it just seems like it's way more corporate. There's a lot, it seems like there's way more, um, like more red tape, more approvals needed, just more. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the culture shock for me. I was used to being able to say, well, I want to do this, and someone saying, yeah, go do it. You know, like there's no question. Whereas, like you said, um, you know, the line of approval was crazy, but I worked for, oh my God, I cannot, Tina M was running um, uh, MTV Digital at that time. And then Sujin, uh, why, Sujin, why can't I remember Sujin's last name right now? It's so bad. Um, but I worked with a great team, let me put it that way. Um, women leaders in the tech space, you know, who were breaking ground, and I learned a lot um, from them. And I really got a chance to learn how to not cut corners. Okay. And, you know what I mean? Because at Trace, it was just like, okay, we got this much money. How are we gonna make this work? But we gotta make this dope, right? Um, at MTV, it was like, we have enough money. What are we doing? What is the strategic plan here? What are the steps? You know, whereas, you know, it would take us a week to decide to do something at Trace. At MTV was like six months. Yeah, yeah. You know, and learning that sharpened me in a way that I didn't, I just didn't know I needed. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a good balance because I'm sure you still brought in the way that you had been used to working where you were, because learning how to work kind of with what you have, like being resourceful, is also a skill set. So kind mm -hmm. of combining it, like, you know, it yeah. really kind of, was a great combination at a certain point. Yeah. And it's good to 
both both worlds get both backgrounds you know working on a budget making it happen versus like really being able to see it all the way through and dot all the t's and i mean cross the t's dot the i's <laughs> yeah i think like i think the scary thing for me there um because i went from mtv.com to mtvu which is a, the college network um and uh, at one point mtv2 and um I think what was scary for me was the bureaucracy because I had experienced that. You yeah. know, my parents were entrepreneurs, so autonomy was always the thing that you needed, right? You have to be the boss. You have to, you know, you have to manage. Yeah. Uh, so dealing with folks who were in these positions of power sometimes who didn't know what they were doing, uh -huh. uh, you know, I had to learn that, you yeah. know, <laughs> you to, I had to learn how to finesse um, certain conversations and inform people on things that they weren't aware of to protect us, to protect culture and sometimes. Right. So that was pretty intense moments. So do you think that your parents with your parents and entrepreneurs that influenced just how you viewed the way that you were going to approach your own career? Absolutely. Um, I think that's the arrogance that Claude saw in me. It was just like this this knowing that I was going to do something and whatever I was going to do, I was going to be badass about it. Like that was a question in my mind, you know? Um, but I didn't, again, because I was young, I didn't know how that came across to people. Um, and I guess that was, <laughs> that was the learn again, that was the learning at MTV. It was just like, all right, now you have to deal with you're these bosses, you have like 10 bosses, right. you know, uh, for different things. Um, so you can't come in with that kind of energy. You got to come in willing to learn and willing to be a team player in a different kind of way. Right. Um, you know, and how can you be, how can you ensure that you're indispensable? Right. You know, um, so that was the thing I was always trying to do. Right. Um, but it got to a point eventually where um, again, I was, I was afforded a great opportunity and I was paid well to experiment. Mm -hmm. Tech was the place I needed to be, right? Um, and eventually I realized for myself, I think it was two years, I realized, you know, I really need to get back to the creative part of it mm -hmm. um, and not just focus on the tech. I want tech to be there, but I don't want it to be the primary thing. Yeah, right, right. Um, so in working, so I was going to say, so were there any mentors that you kind of along the way? Oh my God. Um, or maybe that you reached out to and, and uh, demanded mentorship from? Bethann <laughs> well, uh, was amazing because uh, when I was um, working at Trace, she was very close to the Trace family. So she let me pick her brain on several occasions. To this day, like I'll email her every once in a while, like, hey, what's up? Um, so she's always been amazing. Um, I think I have, it's hard to say that I've had like, I mean, Claude was a mentor because I didn't know magazine publishing and, you know, I learned a lot from him. Um, I think that, I don't know if I have had a consistent mentor. Um, I think I've had people in my life who are great at what they do but I haven't had someone who actually did the things that I did. Mm -hmm. 
because I was mixing and matching so much. Right. Like people could tell me about one part of it and someone else could fill in the blanks about something else. Right. But there was not one person who could be like, okay, based on what you want to do with all these different things, this is how you navigate. Right. Um, it was literally me figuring out as I... As you went along, kind of what you were drawn to. You were kind of like building, like building blocks, like building experience and going, yeah, taking that step. Yeah. Doing it scared. <laughs> while I was doing it, not knowing what would be on the other side of that jump. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you, now were you at, um, so I know you, okay, you were at MTV, but then you also went over to the source. Was yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, this is, so you're building a, a really great, you know, resume. And you're working in these different spaces culturally. No, but I mean, like very important. You know what I mean? So um, it's it's so funny because when I went to the source, everyone was like, "Why? Like, <laughs> why are you going to the source now? It's not the '90s. Like, why are you going to the source?" And that and that was the draw for me because it was past the Benzino era, past the Dave Mays era, and it was like, "Can you resurrect this thing?" based on everything you learned at Trace. Right. You know all these things. Try it. Resurrect this thing. And I did. Um, so it was a, that was what the source was about for me. It was like, okay, how can I give back to hip hop culture, learning all the things that I learned and doing it with my eyes closed. Let's, let's test it out. How, you know, are, are my skills still sharp? Um, and I amazed myself in some ways. Yeah. Um, but it was also the scariest time, I think, um, because uh, everyone questioned me in the space. Mm -hmm. like, you know me from way back, so you know I was into, like, you knew I was always about hip hop, right? Yeah. Like, people saw me, like, pe Trace was not a hip hop magazine. We were an urban magazine, whatever that means, right? Uh, transcultural magazine. Yeah. But, um, you know, we weren't traditional hip hop vibe uh, stores, double XL, fed, we weren't that, right? right. Um, so people kind of looked at me like, wait a minute, who's she? Uh -huh. Like, other than, I mean, the people who knew me were like, she comes from fashion. She mm -hmm. comes from, her, which is different lifestyle, is what we used to say then, right? Um, so they didn't think I deserved the job. Okay. So, that was the thing that was driving me too. It was just like, okay, I gotta prove all these people wrong. Like I remember there were blogs written about me because this was the beginning of the blogger era. Yeah. And there were blog posts written about me and how I didn't deserve this and who the hell do I think I am? And then I was just like, wow, okay. I guess I'm, I guess I am somebody because you're writing about me. <laughs> right. So um, very, very interesting time. Um, yeah, I mean, because yeah, it's one of the, in terms of like hip hop publication. So yeah, there's a lot of eyes and a lot of eyes on it. And I kind of feel like, yeah, there's definitely like a writer, like hip hop journalist community for sure. So people, and, and they have the platform to be vocal. So they're always gonna hear whatever. Some of my friends, you know? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like I was completely like an outsider. It wasn't that at all. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them came to trace parties. So it wasn't, it was, it's, Definitely wasn't that, but there were people who were like diehard, like 
heads who are just like, nah. There's one person in particular I'm thinking about, uh, which is funny because he ate his words in the end and apologized like two years, three years down the line. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting experience because um, at the source, I literally, because this, okay, Londell McMillan had purchased the source, right? So I went to work for Londell. I was killing two birds with one stone because I'd always wanted to work for Londell because he was an entertainment attorney, right? One of the best in the business. Yeah. And I knew how to run a magazine for mm-hmm. mine. So when I went there, I was literally teaching him media. This is how you do media on the business side and the editorial side. Again, indispensable because there was no one person who can teach you both sides. In the- yeah. um, but eventually, uh, <laughs> eventually I was just like, yeah, I can't do this no more. I'm good. Thank you. It yeah. came to, um, you know, what I believed in, you know, would I go against, would I go against myself? Would I go against my gut for sake of being here? And it wasn't that important for me. I'd rather walk away. Um, but yeah. Yeah. How was it also, what, what years were those, kind of? Was that like mid-2000s? Yeah, 2008 to 2010. Okay. Yeah. How was it being a, a woman heading a hip-hop magazine? Um, <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. Um, it really, you know what I was watching recently? Um, what's the name of that documentary about uh, Russell Simmons? Um, on the record. On the record, thank you. So I was watching that recently and saw some friends that I knew. And one thing that really resonated with me is how we all bend and contort ourselves to fit in the hip hop experience <laughs> with men who aren't necessarily looking at us for our our professional value, but looking at us for something else. Um, and I have never experienced it like I have like I experienced it when I was at the store. Like I would be in the studio writing a, a story with an artist and it'd be like, so you, you coming through tonight? What? Right. <laughs> or um, I remember there was a, uh, let's, I think it was VH1 who was trying to do a show around women in hip hop. And they asked me, so who have you slept with? <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, like things like that or you know, you can't possibly know about these artists. You can't, so I had to go toe to toe with a lot of them. And I even changed the way I carried myself to kind of ward off some of the stuff, which was really weird. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't, I didn't realize it. No, I, yeah. I didn't even realize it till much later and was like, oh, wait, 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 I can't lose myself for sake of those two years. I can't, yeah. No. Yeah, you don't even realize. It's funny because this conversation that's opened up over the last few years, you almost didn't realize like how normalized so much of the behavior was. Even people like, you know, who you would think someone, like I think we're for the most part probably conscious. Um, we're probably pretty like pro-women, you know, with or without like the conversation happening or not. It's just who we are and I think still like how did how were even 
how did we even get like used to some of this stuff and and like to the point where yeah i mean it was it was i would say like it was so normalized and now with this conversation um opening up and just i mean i even look back at certain experiences in my years and i'm like wow, wow. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is is true you know like down things to try to not attract or to avoid certain situations and yeah to even have to consider things like that yep. while professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and uh i came on uh you know i think i was the second woman to lead the source after um kim osario so mm-hmm. it was more important for me to really toe the line a certain way mm-hmm. because at that time people were still kind of like you heard what happened with Kim Osario, right? And I was like, dude, like, seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's going, like, she's going through experiences and face misogyny in ways that I can't even imagine, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to leave that there. But, um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a really tough time. Like, I had to face, like, I was on a, a, I felt like I was on a bigger platform, even though it was less international than what I'd done before. Um, but the platform was more popular. You know what I mean? It was, it was less indie. Less so, less, yeah, so I was like, BT Awards, BT, um, BT Honors, uh, or VH1 Hip Hop Honors, rather. BT Hip Hop Awards. I'm doing all the shows. I'm at all the major events. Um, people are catering to me. I'm doing a lot of TV at that time. And this was before everybody was doing TV like that in our space. Like perfect example. I remember after the Grammys with, um, when, uh, the Chris Brown and Rihanna situation happened, that was the Grammys, right? Yeah. That was the Grammys. Yeah. Um, I got called to do the Geraldo show. (laughs) Like Geraldo of all places, right? Um, I got called to do Geraldo and I said yes because I remember Geraldo from the 70s because I had studied him like oh he's like a man of the people da, da, da. I'm watching that show during that time so I didn't know uh, the show and he literally chewed me out you did it oh my god I didn't know you did that show yeah yeah age or was it like a literally a talking head like i used to do that all the time cnn brother show bt uh what was that called 106 in park like i was also 106 in park as a judge that's what i'm saying like this forward facing it's funny how when you take on jobs like this they don't you're like you go for one thing and then that kind of just ends up being part of it and it's just it's just weird yeah Totally. And I was told I need to, um, I need to be more out there. And that turned me off a lot. Like it's one, like I wanted to always do things my way mm-hmm. and myself. I didn't want to be fake for, for, um, I didn't want to show up in that way. I didn't want to show up fake at all. Um, so if I couldn't do myself, I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Um, but that was part of, I think the challenge too, that can you be more like that? And I'm like, no, cause that's not me. Yeah. Um, and more like that meant like, you know, being a sex, a sex kitten, essentially. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, conforming to like what I guess people 
what works in what works in that place. Yeah, people have come to expect like this is the way you should look because, like you said, this is what works and that's what we expect now. And for who? Right. Question. Right. For who? Who are we doing this for? Yeah. No, I think that that's definitely the challenge. I think for just women in that space is that we love it, but there's this whole other. When people ask, I mean, I've always had that gotten that that question has always been asked all throughout my, my career. How is it working in a male-dominated industry? And I think it's the kind of question that like evolves over time because you become your the what I would have answered in like you know my early twenties versus now. It's like that response has evolved because you just realize it's like there's so much there's so much to it. You know, it's not just like oh I dress differently. It's like it's all the layers, you know, it's like, it's just, yeah, it's, um, but also now, I mean, we have, there's more strength because we've had years of experience, right? So there's not the, the naivete that was there when we were younger, right. where it's like, oh, let me joke it off. Ha ha ha. Like now it's like, are you serious? You focus, right? you know? Um, but it can, but, but, but it can, you know, it can wear on you a bit. You know what I mean? Where you do get to that point sometimes. To that, uh, <laughs> I feel you, like you know exactly what I'm gonna say next. Yeah, you get to that point where, you're like, okay, how much? How important is this? Is this is this feeding my soul? Like on one hand, it's your love for it, but it's kind of a. You're also um, there's some compromise too, and how much are you willing to compromise? Right, and that's what. Yeah. yeah, and literally that night I went to uh, Hip Hop Nation on Sirius, and they were interviewing me about why I quit. <laughs> I was just like, went out a little bit because when our because since we're on Zoom, so just so you guys didn't if if people didn't hear, so you got quit at that point. You made a decision. Wait, okay. Want to make sure it was heard. Yeah, totally quit, and that night I went to Hip Hop Nation uh, show on Sirius. And like spilled my guts. I was just like, I'm done with this. I'm done with the misogyny. I'm done with the nonsense. I'm not. I'm not gonna bend myself anymore for this. Mm-hmm. And I thought like again because being on this national platform, working for a popular publication in this way, and working with like big artists, you know, mm-hmm. um, I thought that it was gonna be really easy for me to to decide what my next move was gonna be. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I quit in August 2010. Um, by October, I was just like, you know what? I'm not gonna go work for anybody else. I'm gonna create my own thing. Mm-hmm. So I started designing and building um, what became Stark, right? The StarkLife.com. Right. Um, and I think by the next summer, I had set it live. Beta. Mm-hmm. Within six months, we were nominated for Best Cultural Blog at the Webby Awards. Um, and Translation um, was looking at giving us funding. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, oh shit, I did it, you know? <laughs> never working for anybody again. And then the two different, uh, and I was still doing like side jobs to just sustain and pay people. Um, and then the jobs that were supposed to 
um, uh, not the jobs, the the funding that was supposed to come in didn't manifest. Like they had, like they had strung me along for like six months. We had like maybe two or three um, different big campaigns that we were gonna get money for that would have sustained us for three years at least, right? And it all fell apart. And I was sitting here like, wait a minute, this is supposed to work. Or I crossed my teeth, dotted my eyes, everything was working. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of a shift for okay. me. Okay. I was just like, okay, maybe I need to go back in house. Okay. So MTV World. Uh, here was the thing. I was looking for an opportunity that allowed me to still work on um, Stark um while i was working on it i didn't want any exclusivity deals no i didn't like i needed to work i needed to keep working on this thing and shaping this thing because it was new right Um, so mtv world seemed like that place and mtv world was essentially um working on bringing music content from around the world to u.s audiences so like mtv daisy which is uh southeast asia mtv korea which was all the k-pop stuff and then MTV Iggy, which was like global, UK, Africa, South America, et cetera. Um, so, and I felt like I was back in my playland again because I was focusing on music, focusing on global culture. Um, and I became the first editorial director, the first black editorial director at Vodcom at that time. Amazing. It was like, okay, got a nod, got the, the Webby Award thing happening. Um, but they told me that I could not work on my site. Oh, okay. So I had to do it in secret, <laughs> which was fun. Right. Um, so I was not sleeping, and I was working like I hustle uh, fashion. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, but it was again, it was really interesting to work with MTV World because that's when I started really producing for TV again, but like with more with my hands deeper in development. So when I was at TV the first time, I created stuff, but it wasn't like the long format stuff that I really, really wanted to get my hands on. When I was at MTV World, I got to play in that land, you know? Um, Like I remember I helped to produce along with uh, Rebecca, what is Rebecca's last name? Oh my God, this is bad. I have to like apologize to everyone later, but anyway. Um, we were producing a documentary called um, Rebel Music for MTV World. Um, and I remember just us being in a huddle all the time, talking about Pussy Riot and what's going on in Russia at the time and trying to really make a documentary about what does it mean to be an activist um, using music as your kind of vehicle. Um, so th- that sort of stuff was fun. But by this time, I was so clear on who I was, what I wanted to represent, what I wanted to be doing and how I wanted the people I was working with to be treated that when I saw a little bit of injustice, I was just like, nah. So um, I secretly started like interviewing for other jobs. Um, And I ended up at Ketchum, which is a PR marketing agency. Um, It's one of Omnicom's companies. Omnicom is like one of the biggest advertising agencies. I was youngest VP. out of a hundred offices. And I was, I think I was like one of five black VPs across a hundred offices and I was running the video department. Okay. 
And I was doing like for the first two months, I was doing that and MTV at MTV World at the same time. And no, like it was crazy. I have no idea how I did it, but I did it. No uh, life and no Yeah, no, but literally full time jobs, nine to five, both places, like running back and forth, kind of a thing. Um, and no one knew. No one knew. Uh, <laughs> insane. Um, and it was awesome because that's when I started running for the paper. Okay. I was like, time to get the bag, right? Okay, that um, it was I said, now it's time to get the bag. Yes. You know, like I'm a VP, getting this bag, tripled my salary, killing it, like still young. Mm -hmm. And then Monsanto crossed my desk. Yeah, Monsanto, the Center for Biotechnology. Okay. 30, 30 companies that represent Monsanto crossed my desk. And I was just like, what is this? This is, I don't even know what a GMO is at that time. Okay. And I had to really learn about it. And I tried to convince them to tell the truth because at the time it was all about labeling foods in grocery stores, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't want to do it. Right. Okay. And um, it was a battle for a while, for about, I would say like three weeks. Like I said, we should get, you know, we should use your scientists. We should use your farmers, like real people to ask questions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Over the course of two to three weeks, it turned into, we're going to use actors. We're going to do this instead. Here's the script. And I had to, this was my kind of crazy moment where it's like, I just tripled my salary. I haven't even been here a year. Like, am I really gonna leave this? I'm supposed to be getting the bag. That's what we're taught. Get the freaking bag, right? Yeah. Um, and I decided to take two weeks vacation within six months of working there. <laughs> take two weeks vacation. Just so for the sake of clarity. So when you say it hit your desk, they were they looking to hire your agency? Okay, what was the... So when I was at Ketchum, you know, because I ran the video department of um, the digital agency portion of the business, division of the business, that meant that any client who was looking for commercial work had to, had to come through my office in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Right? So my team would work on crafting the narrative. My team would work on producing videos or hiring the talent, do that, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, so like I worked on um, MasterCard, FedEx, uh, Absolute, like all of these, like Justin Timberlake, Absolute. Was that Justin Timberlake? Yeah, Justin Timberlake, Absolute. Like that was that era. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the razor now. Um, starts with a G, Gillette. Um, so Monsanto, and it wasn't called Monsanto when it hit my desk. Mm -hmm. It was like, we have a new client. It's the Center for Biotechnology. And I was like, what's that? So I started doing my research and they're like, okay, here's the, here's the information packet. It's 30 different organizations, blah, blah. And I have my first meeting and they're telling me about GMOs. And then later that night, I'm watching like the 10 o'clock news or something. And it's like, GMOs, you know, this is the issue in, you know, grocery stores right now. They need to label their food. People are talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm, what? You know, so I started digging a little deeper into what it really is. 
And, you know, I tried to do the good work on the inside. And that was when I learned that you don't win everything, Mm. you know? And so that's why I took two weeks vacation, took all my personal days, and then I put in my letter of resignation and I still got my severance. But everyone thought I was crazy because, yeah, everyone thought I was crazy because I had literally jumped a couple of steps in like that move. Again, tripled my salary, VP title, all this stuff, and I'm still young. And I couldn't lie to myself. Right. I just, I couldn't. And, I, and there was a part of me that really wanted to try. Like there was, I'm not gonna even, like I'm, I'm trying to be truly transparent. Like there was a part of me that was like, you gotta take this money because it could help your sister. It could help your mom. It could help so-and-so. It can, and that's the other thing that we have to think about is like, who are we helping as we're getting the bag, right? Now, if I don't get the bag, who's not being helped? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you were conflicted and understandably, yeah, no, it's tough when you reach that space. I think a lot of people, as you rise, end up kind of hitting that crossroad because you rise and then you're in a certain position where you are calling and your point of view and what you care about influences, I mean, you have more influence. And so it's, it's tough, it's a crossroads because at that point it's how much are you willing to, again, potentially compromise you know, your integrity or the things that you really believe in because now people are paying you um, and you have a certain level of responsibility and, and you're answering to certain people and there's just a lot more that comes with it. So it's tough. I think a lot of people get to that point. And, you made a certain decision, you know, to really stick to, you have a certain, integrity was very important for you. Yeah. But I broke after that. Okay. I literally, my mind fell apart. Okay. Because I literally could not, I could not make sense of it. I was just like, wait a minute, how am I walking away from the very thing that I've been taught to do? Mm-hmm you're taught to get to a certain level and make this money you're making the money yeah you're, your bank account looks pretty nice right like what are you doing right i didn't have a plan at all um so you know and then you know the people who know about your life are in your head like oh, why did you do that and yeah. um so for after i left i literally Took about six months to kind of figure out where I was. Okay. Um, I put all my energy into Stark. Um, but it was different now because I had changed from that experience. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was trying to figure out my, and I didn't trust people anymore because a lot of stuff went down with that situation. Um, and I just, yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head together. And I ended up spending all the money I'd saved in that time frame on Stark. And I like I rolled the dice and it didn't it didn't pan out the way again for a second time didn't pan out the way I had planned. And then I found myself homeless. 
Mm-hmm. How like I've been on a roll for like 14 years by this time. How am I like how am I homeless? Um and you know, a friend let me stay on her couch for like a month. And then another friend was like, why don't you come stay over here until you get back on your feet? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm still like in my mind, all these different things are like additional blows. Yeah. Like you're Amy. Like how how is this happening right now? This is not you. You win. You always win. Like you don't lose. Like what's going on? Like the arrogance was being broken down. I was being humbled in a way that I didn't understand I needed. Mm-hmm. By um, I think it was like June of 2014. Um, was 2014 or 2013? One of the two. Um, I literally filed for unemployment. I was so like, I filed for unemployment. I filed for uh, welfare. I filed for all that shit. Cause I was like, I'm going to have to survive because, mm-hmm. and people weren't hiring me because now I was too experienced. Um, even though I was everyone else's age, I had two, like I was overqualified now. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and I was afraid to go back in the advertising space because I didn't know what I was going to encounter. I didn't want to have the same experience. So, um, I'm literally going to like the freaking, um, welfare spot sitting in a room and they're like, you have to go there. You have to go through all of the, the, the workshops. So they're like, this is typing one-on-one. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, I really have to, this is crazy. Like it's, wow. it's breaking me down, like, like completely breaking me down. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, another workshop was, this is how you be, um, this is how you can be a construction worker. Um, you get paid $25 an hour as the person who puts the cones down in the street. And I'm sitting here like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like this. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't even want to ask my mom. I didn't want to tell, like no one knew. I was still going to industry parties. No one knew. They were like maybe three people who knew. Right. Right. And I was keeping up appearances. And then by, uh, by July of that year, um, I was talking to a friend and I was just like, maybe New York is not it for me. Maybe I need to move to LA. Maybe that's what it is. I just need to go. And I called a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. That's that Haitian that you did not tell your parents. <laughs> so many people. No, it is. It, it just is because I mean, how many people do we know at that moment? That's the first call they would have made. You know what I mean? Which I didn't, again, I'm, I'm there with you. Because that's not the first call. I didn't, I have never thought of that as my first phone call when, I, when I'm, you know, maybe in need or just like, yeah. So it's just, it's funny that you say that. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm like, oh, like, what about, what about your mom? You know what I mean? But, but then I'm, I would have been doing it, you know, probably would have like done the same thing, you know, like that would have been my last resort. Right. Yeah. Totally. Like, if I rewind a little bit, like, at first, when I started my career, my mom was just kind of like, what is this? Like, what do you do? I don't get it. Like, what do you do? It took her 10 years to kind of figure it out. And I think I was doing, um, um, I used to do uh, an interview series for the New York uh, chapter of the Recording Academy. 
and they asked me to do an interview with Big Boy. Okay. And she was like, I know him, outcast. Right. So when she came, so like, she was like, she could connect to it. And now she finally understood. And that was the first time she said she was proud of me. So I wanted to hold on to that little morsel. Totally. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to break that in any way. So there's that. What about when she saw you on Geraldo? She didn't say that then? <laughs> <laughs> no, she was like, you look beautiful. They did your makeup nice. It was, it was different. It was a little different for that one. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. No, but so, so I called my friend, Nyla, who is still a very good friend now. Um, she was working at Red Bull. And um, I was like, yo, I think I'm going to move to LA. And she was like, why? Like, why are you moving to LA? I said, because I can't seem to find a gig in New York. And I, I don't want to be a crazy person. I don't want to be someone who's forever unemployed. I need a job. I need to live. I have no money left. Like, I need to get out of this house that doesn't belong to me. Um, and she was like, wait, do you really want to come to LA? And I said, yeah, I'm serious. She was like, how about you stay in New York? Because I have the perfect role for you. I know someone who's looking for someone at Red Bull. It's a global editor position. You would be perfect for it because you've done that already. And I was like, okay, I'll talk to her. So now, mind you, I'm still going to like the welfare office because I still have to do these damn workshops and I can't like, right? And that was the only way I could get like unemployment, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, Kyoko, who eventually became my boss, <laughs> um, she had to do an interview with me over Skype because she was in Austria. And I was just like, how am I going to do this interview? So I'm doing the interview from the welfare office in like, oh there, like literally for like four hours, we're on this Skype call and I'm in the office with them. And they're like, as long as you get the job, we don't care. Amazing. Um, so that was a Thursday. A week later, I had tickets to um, uh, Sweden uh, for workshops with the Red Bull team. And from there, I was like running Red Bull Studios. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what I said. Things just happen. Like, <laughs> so this is a really, I'm really glad that you're telling the full story because I yeah. That's even another thing, you know, there's so much of this kind of, you know, platform, there's, there's many platforms these days for people to share their stories, share your career journey, tell us about all your successes, how did you make it here? And I think, you know, and people pick and choose what part of their journeys they want to share. And I think that people need to hear the full, the, the ups and the downs, because we're all going to have them. And I think yours, you know, you bet on yourself, you invested in yourself, you stuck to what you really believed in. And, you know, like, guess what? That's going to be, sometimes there's a cost, but then you're also paying, you know, in the long run. So point is, it's just so important for people to hear. And I appreciate that you're telling us the, you know, the ups and the downs. No, I feel like it's important to do that because like I said, like I didn't feel like I had um, a mentor who had experienced everything I had experienced. So a lot of times I was figuring things out on my own, right. you know? So like when I went homeless, it was just like, wait, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, and it's not like, hey, I'm homeless. How'd you do it? You know? Um, so um, I don't know. I feel like, oh wait, what I was going to say was that, I'm also proud of 
like how I've been able to navigate too, because in those scary moments, while I wasn't, while I was super embarrassed um, and I was beating myself up like a crazy person for real, like really, because I think it's crazy to not bet on yourself one, but I also think it's crazy when you can't have a little bit of faith huh? to, to maneuver because it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And I was expecting it to happen tomorrow. And I was kind of spoiled because I was so used to it happening when I wanted it to. So when it didn't, when it wasn't immediate, I beat myself up so bad. And I just kept getting, going, diving deeper and deeper into this like dark space. Um, But if it weren't for the people in my life who just genuinely cared for me, like Nyla and I weren't like best friends. We were just cool. But because she just dug what I did, she was like, yo, this job, trust me. And I got the job, you know? Um, and then from there, I was like literally traveling to Europe all the time, um, running uh, the 12 recording studios around the world. Um, and eventually that evolved into also producing, um, being a development producer for Red Bull TV. Um, I really, really enjoyed that um, because my life had completely flipped. It was like, Here's your, he was like, here's your, I'm broke as fuck, okay? Yeah. Wait, can I curse? I was like, okay. I was like, I'm so broke. And one, I got to get my passport renewed to get on this plane, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a whole nother story. Um, I get on this flight and then from there, my life was literally itineraries. Yeah. Amy, you're going to Paris for two weeks, go. Oh, wait, you're in Paris right now? You got to go to Germany. You're not going home yet. It was that kind of thing. Um, and I, it was so much fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But yeah, but after a while you get tired of living in hotel rooms. Yeah. You know, and Airbnbs. So. Wait, were you Airbnb back then? Yeah, totally. In Europe, especially. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually in LA too. Um, because you, I actually liked the Airbnbs more so than I liked the hotels in Europe. Oh, totally. I agree with that. You know? So in Europe. yeah. Um, no, but I was just thinking, I guess I didn't even really become aware of Airbnb until like maybe six, seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's about right. Is that when you were that? Okay. That two, yeah, that was like 2014. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that sounds, that role sounds. <laughs> um, it was, yeah. Do you still speak, you speak French? Mm-hmm. You have to use it? While you were, um, I did when I was in Paris, but I mean, everyone's, I mean, rebel, uh, for the most part, everyone spoke English. Okay. Um, but, um, I did use French. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, you know, our team, our team was international and there were people like people who were from France, who were working in the LA office, people from, you know, Mexico working in the Austrian office. Like, so everyone was kind of all over the place. Um, and that's what I really enjoyed about Red Bull. Um, it was like the smartest people, like I wasn't the smartest person in the room anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in the room with all the smart people and I'm like, oh shoot, now I gotta step up. And yeah. that was exciting. That was really exciting. Um, Cause it pushed me beyond myself. Yeah. Yeah. Stretched you. Totally. Which, yeah. Um, so what, what are some, I guess, so what you did there, were you able to kind of, you were, were you able to, I guess, um, develop 
the content ideas? Like what exactly did the mm -hmm. Okay, so for, uh, with Red Bull Studios in particular, so um, Red Bull Studios was born out of Red Bull Music Academy. Um, so the idea was, you know, we're having a Red Bull Music Academy, which is all about celebrating emerging artists, amazing artists, uh, ex experimental artists, etc. Why don't we create a studio for this music academy so that they can make music while they're here? And then that happened again. And again, and again, and then before you knew it, we were like, okay, we have all these studios. Um, so my job essentially was to work with the teams in all the different regions. And we literally had a studio in every time zone, which was a whole other thing for me to work on. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was literally working with the teams on the ground in like New Zealand and Japan and Brazil, et cetera, et cetera, um, helping them to shape content and create strategies for the content that would live on their sites but also create um a plan around the artists that they were working with at that time so each studio had different artists based on the local artists of that you know so like perfect example um um who's someone that i think of like dizzy rascal worked with the uk office okay. uh, the uk studio often um who was out of New York a lot. Um, Harry Fraud was out of New York a lot. Um, and so forth and so forth. So um, it was fun to be at the helm of like all of these different creative projects, okay. right? Around the world. It's like, oh, Nina Kravis is in the Amsterdam studio today, but you know, um, you know, Toki Monster is in LA, et cetera, et cetera. So being um, at the precipice of those projects and helping them to shape their narrative, shape the audio project too, and then deliver it and ensure that, you know, they're getting at, we're building as much awareness around those projects as possible, which was what, that was my job, but yeah. on this global scale. Right. Wow. Um, but then from a TV perspective, it was working with all the markets on kind of coming up with ideas for Red Bull TV. Um, music documentaries, um, lifestyle documentaries, et cetera. Got it. That was a lot. <laughs> well, that sounds really exciting. Um, the idea of being able to really be just connecting, well, really being able to connect with what's happening in all these different areas, different parts of the world, you know? Um, all the time. <laughs> yeah no that's there's that a yeah that and also being able to leverage what i had learned in all the different spaces at different times because Absolutely. red bull allowed me to kind of blend everything right in one space yeah and i mean and then that's you know goes back a bit to like just how a journey a career journey works you know it's like you're it's building blocks and you're mm -hmm. you go, you're taking something with you you don't always know what, what you're going to pull out of that bag, you know, right. for your next role, but it's in there. You know what yeah. I mean? You know it, you're using all your tools. So, um, so Absolutely. yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> She's like, what happened after that? <laughs> Goodness. I mean, I think yeah. one thing that I wanted to touch on is so you've, you've been a story, you know, a big part of your, uh, what you do is storytelling. You're a 
Um, and I was just thinking about, I mean, we didn't actually get to your current role yet, but just like the challenge that us as black, as black people and as black women, um, well, I don't know if I want to call it challenge, but just like what that means for us when we're kind of in the position we are where we translate culture mm -hmm. um, to a larger audience, right? Like we're kind of bringing it to an audience, but just, you know, like when I think about the music space, mm -hmm. for us it's, it's entertainment. So I think that's the, conf the conflict that some of us face is that we're like, glad you're enjoying this, glad you're entertained, but do you understand where it comes from? What right, the because, is? You right. Know, something to package up and like sell and, and you see the value and you can put it on a shelf, but do you understand what the origin of this is? And do you understand why we can't, why we even come up with these things? I was about to say, you're, you're better than me. Like, you, like, I don't know if I want them to necessarily know the origin. Like, I'm walking that fine line. You know what I mean? Because right. I feel like the more you know, the more you can appropriate. And I kind of don't want to tell you everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a whole nother thing. Um, so I, I'm in this weird space where I know that our duty, as you said, is to tell our own stories, right? Mm -hmm as opposed to you dictating to me or dictating back to me what you think my story is, you know, cause I've, I've seen that too. Um, and I feel like that's where the, the, the intersection of my work is now. It's like, no, I'm taking that power back and I'm gonna ensure that these artists, these people can tell these stories yes. um, as a curator and as an executive director at the museum. Um, but through the vehicle of art across, you know, different mediums. I think what's, I don't look at it as, I think when I was in marketing and when I was in media, yeah, it was definitely like, oh, how do we package this so we can get metrics? How do we sell this? How do we, you know, commodify it, et cetera. But now I think that's why I enjoy being in the art space so much because mm -hmm. it takes it back to the core of the culture for me. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, let's just, let's just be what it is, unapologetically black, unapologetically whatever. Um, and tell the story. Let's expand the conversation. And um, yeah, like there's there's no one really, there's no one really that I, I have to answer to except the people now. Right. Which is a different model than what I experienced before. Right. Before it was the people, but dictated by the VPs, the SVPs, the owners, you know? Now it's like, no this is for the people. These programs are for the people to enable them to empower them, period, full stop. And that is fulfilling, like never, like nothing I've experienced before. Yeah, the people, so that'll bring us to where you are. Are we yes. skipping? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we, we, skip, we skipped a little something. We, yeah. are, wait, wait. we don't want to skip too much. Okay, so. the only, I'll, I'll do quick. Uh, so after Red Bull, um, I went to translation to yep. work for Steve Stout. Yes. Yes. Um, cause Steve Stout was launching, um, United Masters, which is a tech company that mixes music. Yeah. Um, so they needed someone, they reached out to me like, do you, do you know anyone who could be an executive producer for us? Cause we were trying to make content. And I was like, I'm back in New York now. So 
and I'm just kind of chilling right now because I was working on some documentaries for Red Bull, but that was it. Wait, and when you say you're back in New York, had you moved? No, I had no, I never moved. I never left New York in the sense that I moved, but I was gone for like 75% of the year for like three or four years, right? Um, so when I said I was back in New York, it was just like I'm stable, I don't have this itinerary anymore. Yeah, got it. You know, I'm still freelancing for Red Bull on these documentaries, but and I said, if it's worth my time, I might do it. And I got the gig. He was like, if you want it, it's yours. So I got the gig and I brought on my team. But, and we started, like, we literally had two months to build like 50 shows. And we did. I don't know how we did it, but we did. Um, but then the whole direction of the company changed within six months. And they didn't want to do content anymore, just wanted to focus on distribution. So we left. And then 2018 was just me focusing on writing again. Just being creative. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not getting a job. I'm done with this. Okay. I got money in the bank. I'm going to chill. Mokata calls. Because I started um, freelancing for Vanity Fair magazine. Okay. And I reached out to everyone like, hey, keep me on your press list. You know? Um, Mokata reaches back and is like, yo, my boy happened to be the chairman of the board at the time. He was like, yo, let's talk. Tells me what's going on with Mokata. I'm inspired. My strategy hat goes on. I create a deck for them for the year. Like, just do this. You guys will win. And he was like, this is great. Can you, can you, uh, can you like pitch this to the board? Like the full board? And I was like, yeah, sure. I pitched it to the board. They're like, can you implement this? And I was like, no, this is my year of yes. I'm trying to be creative. I'm not, not trying to take no jobs. Um, and I said, but okay, fine. I'll do it as a consultant only for three months. At the end of that three months, they were like, can you stay one more month? And I was like, sure. Um, by the next month, they had unanimously voted me in as executive director. And that's how I ended up at Mokata. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so that's the story of my life. It just keeps happening to me. Well, that's what I said. The same Amy that reached out to Trace that called, kept calling Trace. It's the same one. I mean, this was a little different because they reached out. But still were like, hey, here's a vision. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I think that's, again, that's a great um, just for people who are listening, and I think that, yeah, so I want to talk about this role. This is <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's so incredible, and, and, and I think what's really refreshing is that you have such a, like, broad background and, like, kind of these different spaces, and to be able to bring that into what you're doing. I think I'm sure it just has to be really valuable to kind of have. Yeah, especially now during COVID, you know, all the museums are thinking, okay, how do we go digital? How do we rethink like what it means to be a museum? And here I am coming from that space, like, oh, we could do this. Come on guys. Right. You know, so it was like perfect timing in a way. Yeah. 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 Really bring museums into, or Mokata into 2020 and beyond. Yeah, like we were the first ones to do a virtual exhibition and not just like the, you know, swipe this way and then you can go into the next room. No, like it was literally put on your headsets and walk in. Um, so that was really exciting to do. And, you know, we created this whole digital arm where we're, where we're including, let me rephrase that, we created this whole digital arm where now we have tons of content. So we have podcasts now, a museum with podcasts a museum with dissertations online, a museum with articles, 
not just you can come to this event and see this art um really do a deep dive into the culture of the diaspora from different points of view you know yeah. and it it makes so much sense for it to, to to kind of build it out for it to branch out and be able to utilize these different like platforms totally space to be able to um experience the museum yeah. right and that's the point it's like what for me at the end of the day it comes down to what is it that what is your mission what is the purpose right for us it's about inciting dialogue around pressing issues based on the uh, that the African diaspora is facing globally, right? And then the other thing is to uplift art and create avenues for creators of all kinds to showcase their work, to make money, and to, you know, have living wa living wages, like livable wages, rather. Um, so for me, it's just about rethinking that every single time. So like, as an example, you know, um, I don't know if I can say this. Actually, I, well, we haven't announced it yet, but like we're working, we have a partner, yeah, we have a partnership with Warner Media where we're giving platform to filmmakers now. Like literally, you have a short film that you want to make, let's go. You know, it's not, it's like cutting out all of the, the unnecessary middlemen to ensure that um, our stories are being told. Right. You know, um, in another way, um, for me, seeing the impact of COVID on our communities and how it's exacerbated issues like food insecurities, et cetera, I said, wait a minute, why don't we build a farm? So now we're building a farm. <laughs> so things like that. It's literally, yeah, it's literally about trusting my gut and saying, what do we need? How do we be a solution? Wow. So where is the farm? It's going to be in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So it seems like your role is very broad. It's like all, is it like all encompassing or like, are there like, the, yeah. Tell me about like what it involves because there's two, two components. There's executive director and chief curator. Do they, right. like, is it literally two roles or is it just. It's, kind of I wear more than two roles though. <laughs> yeah. I just take two roles, uh, two titles, but I do more than two. Um, I'll say this. Traditionally, executive director is very much like a publisher. They're the driving engine of the museum in terms of fundraising, development, etc. Um, and usually, the chief curator is the one who is the artistic visionary of the space in terms of programming, exhibitions, etc. Um, I have the dual role of, you know, seeing uh, both of those functions through, um, but. It's interesting that you said that it's very broad, like in terms of like I have a, a broad stroke here, but that's because I'm envisioning it as such. I'm not, what's really, if I had worked 20 years in the art space specifically, like I'd always done it on the side. Like I had curated Jamel Shabazz, one of Jamel Shabazz's first shows in New York City, as an example, when I was young, right? But I wasn't, I wasn't the art school kid who became, an associate curator who became a curator who I didn't go through that track. Traditional. It, right. If I had gone through that traditional track, I would have, my perspective would have been extremely limited and I would only see what was in front of me as possible. Yeah. Right. But because I don't come from that space, I'm not limited by the, that perspective. 
So anything goes for me. So I'm like, we want to build a farm? Building a farm is social justice. Let's do it. We want to do content? How do we see it from a social justice lens? Let's do it. It's literally whatever we want to do. And we plug and play it. I love it. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> it's crazy. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> but I enjoy it. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing for you to be able to make a living doing something, doing work that matters and that has purpose and that directly impacts your own community. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, that's the, um, that's the, that's the goal. That's the ideal, you know, yeah. situation. Yeah. It yeah. just took me, it just took me uh, like, I just had to go down this windy road, learn a lot of lessons along the way, and then just say no, and just wait. And I think that was the interesting thing about how the Mokata opportunity evolved was that it was like I had said no, and I just sat there. I just played for a while, you know? I did all the things I enjoy. I'm writing, I'm making clothes right now. I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna take this sewing class, I'm gonna do this. I'm not doing anything else. And I'm gonna wait because something's coming to me now. I know it's coming. I don't know what it is, but it's coming. Right. Um, because I'd learned the lesson before, you know, um, and it showed up. Conversation for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you need to talk to Amy and hear about her journey. Because I'm definitely in a place right now of like, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the next natural thing you should do versus what do you really want to do? You know what I mean? Right. Also not necessarily having the perfect answer, but kind of like even just doing this, like I enjoy doing this. I right. like, you know, so it's kind of like I'm doing the things that I enjoy doing right now in this, this window of time, the, the interim, you know, while I kind of can do it, but but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're kind of speaking, you're speaking to me right now. You definitely keep playing. Yeah. You gotta keep, yeah, you gotta keep playing. It'll come. And listen and just, yep. yeah, absolutely. Cause you know it when you know what it is, it's just that it's not, it's, it's not like you're gonna, I think it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily come in the shape that you expect it to come. It's not like there's like this slot that you fit perfectly into. Right. Oh. No, see, no, no, no. I think there is a slot that you fit perfectly into. Yeah. However, the slot that you, you, you think the slot looks like this, but the right. slot actually looks like that. Right. And you're like looking for the slot to look this way and you keep missing it because you're looking for that thing. Yes. Right? And it's like when you stop looking for it and you're just like, I'm just going to wait until it shows up. Yes. You know, you're like, ah. Oh, that's the thing. Why was I looking at it that way? You know? Yes. That's what it is. It's, it's a really interesting, at least it, that's what it was for me. Yeah. Um, I had to stop putting my own expectations oh. on potential outcomes, mm -hmm. right? Or looking for potential outcomes. It was just like, I just want to be happy, you know? Woo, preaching. I'm going to call this the church, the sermon. <laughs> I'm not going to call it the episode. Yeah. <laughs> the sermon. Yes. Preaching. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's another, um, I think that's, I think 
I have, I've always been very inspired by the people in my life and the people around me, like, you know, and, and it's just by chance. I don't, you know, choose to have developed friendships with people because I'm like, oh, you're dope and you're smart, but I like to be, in, you know, I, I like to be inspired. And totally. so I think this also kind of speaks to that, like creating this platform and hearing stories, like we're all, especially when you're creative and you have different interests and that journey, it's not just like, I'm going to take this, get this degree and, and keep getting promoted. It's not, our journeys are not, you know what I mean? So, and so, and it's so important for us to feel fulfilled and like just listening to you and just the fact that like your instincts played such a huge role and you- And silence too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to be, you know, cause we have this thing, especially when we're hustling where we want to fill our time with all the things. Yes. Right. And it's like so noisy that we can't even hear our instincts. We can't even hear ourselves and what we really need. Right. Um, so it becomes like first detaching from all the things. So, okay, now, so you're in this really great role. Um, and how long have you been there now? Um, two years, technically. So August 2018 is when I became a consultant. But um in february it'll be two years as executive director okay so do you decide on what artists you want to showcase yes okay so you make that decision um so what are some i mean i'm sure you're excited about everyone but are there any i guess artists or exhibits that you've been particularly super excited about oh my god yes um i'm so mad because i had the most amazing year planned for 2020 and you know literally after our first show opened this year like the day after i had to close the museum um harmonio rosales is probably one of my favorite artists he's such a talent and that was our first show this year um if you guys are familiar with her work she actually just did nas's album cover oh okay yeah he's phenomenal um wow yeah, and there, I mean, there are, I think the most fun exhibit that we've had so far was probably um, Uzmaki Cepeda, who uses fur, mm. uh, because she isn't what, okay, let me put it this way. Most people, when they think of art, they think of paintings, right? They think of Rembrandt or, you know, Basquiat, whatever. Um, the interesting thing about Uzmaki is that she creates experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something to me about participatory experiences. When you go into a museum and it's like, no, touch the wall. Right. On the ground, do something so you become a part of the art. Right. Um, we did something last year with her called Safe Space, where she converted the entire gallery into like this, this uh, technicolor, fur padded <laughs> wonderland. And people turned into kids. like. Old, like people would come and just spend the day just laying on the ground in the museum. Um, yeah. That's the photo you used. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was, that one was a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. Th- I became familiar with her actually through her boyfriend, who's a he's a rapper. And yes. I like stumbled on his page, and then you know they do a lot together. And I I think maybe early last year, I started following her. 
And I actually saw her at uh, ComplexCon. Yes. She had an installation there. So yeah, I, and I and I, I think I have a photo in one of her, like in her space. Right. Yeah. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, I, what's interesting for me is like, you know, I'm still doing that same thing that I did at Trace where it's like this mixture of like highbrow, lowbrow. Um, so I'm never gonna look at art where it's just like only the, you know, Kahinde Wiley's, Wangeshi Mutu's, et cetera, even though I love them that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we have to be able to um, open up the space for artists who may not get the traditional opportunity at a mainstream institution because that's what Mukata stands for. That's what we're about. Like we get perform to black artists, period, you know? So your approach in terms of deciding on what artists to include, it's you're inclusive. It's about who, so what, what do you go by? Like if it's not necessarily like the, you know, the person who's making noise and who everyone's kind of talking about, like what, how do you go about deciding that? This yeah, to me it's a little bit of both mm -hmm. in a way. Um, I'm really, it's kind of like when I was working in magazines, right? I'm always kind of, uh, you know, trying to put my finger on the pulse of what we're talking about right now. Like, what is the conversation? And, and trying to forecast what we'll be talking about in the months to come, right? right? Based on what's happening now. Um, and from there, who's the artist who can best speak to that, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's essential and yeah usually you know i identify the the artists that i think best speak to that and sometimes it comes out as a group show sometimes it's a solo show um most times i'll reach out to the artist direct and if they have a gallery i'll work with the gallerist but for the most part i'm developing relationships with individual artists through studio visits you know um and building long-term relationships right and has it been mainly um does it matter? Like, are you, do you showcase artists from around the world or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, be because we focus on the diaspora, for me, it's really important to uh, showcase the work of artists who identify as being of African descent mm -hmm. uh, from Botswana to Brazil to, you know, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. you know, so we showcase everyone. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And across different, and across different communities within the black diaspora, within the African diaspora. Um, so like, I think we tend to be a very traditional, not traditional, I think black people can be very conservative mm -hmm. and I'm kind of the antithesis of that. I'm very progressive. So I am not, um, one to shy away from, um, com like rich conversations about whatever, you know, and push the envelopes on. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, so you're in the right space cause that's what art is supposed to do, you know? It is, it does make, it is about sometimes making people uncomfortable. It often is, you know, or bringing up things that you can't necessarily ex just express in day-to-day -day conversation, but it's there. Right. But part of my work is undoing this idea that Black art is only artifacts. Mm, mm. We have a present and we have a future too, you know? So. Yeah. So while you're there, um, are there specific, just kind of overarching goals that you have for, for the museum? 
And also just as it pertains to your career, like things that you would like to accomplish. Um, the next thing, <laughs> yes, I think, well, at Mokada, I think I've talked about that already, like the farm, yes. you know, film stuff. And there's some other things. I want Mokada to be literally um, the heart of education when it comes to art programming, etc. Um, and really like the epicenter of black art in New York City, period. I, that is my vision for it. Um, I think personally, I have a project that I need to get done and I have been working on for way too long. Mm -hmm. uh, I tend to be ahead of, like I tend to do things before they're supposed to happen. Yeah. So then I just wait for the timing. Um, but it's a novel about my family. Wow. Okay. And um, their yeah, and their story. So um, hopefully that will turn into a screenplay and a series, maybe. So we'll see. I'm pretty sure it will. <laughs> something tells me. Something tells me it will. Yeah, we'll see. It's still early. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, those are the those are the projects that sometimes take you know, those are your, um, it's like your life's work, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's exciting. Um, so I actually do this, God, I feel like there's so much, but I, I'm also afraid of like us getting cut off. <laughs> I think we've covered a lot. We've definitely covered a lot. I mean, I do this like quick questionnaire, super quick, just like impromptu answers. It's just like a little fun thing. And then after that, I think we're good. Podcast but we're gonna keep talking <laughs> okay so this is just super quick it's just like a little fun thing um so plants plantains or lambi oh uh i have to say lambi because you didn't say sweet plantains <laughs> okay okay lambi it is um and for those who are listening, that is conch, a Haitian dish that's conch with amazing, like really good sauce. And it's just made in a very specific way. I still don't know how to make it, but- They make it in Barbados too, you know. Oh, really? And, yeah, but they do it different. Yeah, I, I still don't know what makes Haitian dishes like different, like how to describe it when people say, well, what is it like? And I'm like, I mean, it's the seasoning, but I don't know specifically what it is. Less jerk, less curry. Okay. Well, we use all the other stuff, like all spice, et cetera. You know how to cook Haitian food? Yeah. Oh, I don't. Well, you know, my, obviously my mom's American, so I didn't have it like in my household, so. I'll send you some recipes. Yes, please. Okay, next. Um, Long Island or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, Nicki Minaj or Cardi B? <laughs> Cardi, all day. Sade <laughs> um, or Mary J. Blige? That is not fair. <laughs> like, that is not fair. Um, damn it. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is so hard. Um, I have to say Mary J. Because she saved me through some nights. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Heels or sneakers? Sneakers. Okay. High rise apartment or farm? <laughs> um, <laughs> damn. 
uh, high rise apartment, I think. <laughs> I would know, actually, I would say farm, but I don't want to do the, the, the work of taking care of that animals. <laughs> That's what it's like. <laughs> um, you're like, I'll visit the farm. Um, I, live, I live on a ranch. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, beach or tropical rainforest? Definitely beach. Okay. Coffee or wine? Wine always. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite city? Ooh, um, Istanbul. Ooh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I had I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, and then what's your favorite dish? Um, what is my favorite dish? Oh, Thai, uh, Thai mango chicken. That sounds good. That's making me hungry. It's so good. Yeah. All right. Well, that was so good. I'm so glad we did this. Likewise. This is fun. Because it'll be just great for people to hear. It was great for you and I to talk. And I feel like you were speaking to my soul and my spirit. You were saying some things I needed to hear. So, yeah, the universe was like, yeah, you need to have Amy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, it just happened to me. Like, my, that's the story of my life. Um, I have always wanted to be a professor. Like, I used to think that I would be, like, in my 50s as a professor, end of story. Um, but, um, you know, I got invited to some, like, highfalutin lunch at, like, the National Arts Club, which is, like, a private membership, like, members-only club for people in the arts world. And I'm, like, one of three people of color there. Then this woman comes up to me, and she and I strike a really dope conversation. Mm. And... She, by the end of the lunch, she's like, can I bring my class to your museum? Because you're such an interesting person. I was like, whatever. Sure. So she really does call me back and like brings her class to the museum. I tell them about what I do. And then I tell them my story, my journey. And the kids are like, you should have a podcast. And I'm like, okay, you know. Um, a week Later, she's like really thankful. And she's like, can you come down and critique my students' work? Because they're going to be graduating this year. I was like, sure. So I come down, I critique the students' work. Little do I know that the woman who runs that department, the integrated design department, was sitting in the back of the room. And she heard my critiques of the students' work. Mm. Back to um, uh, uh, Rhea, the person who um, I had met. And she's like, yo, who is that? Like. Can we stay in touch with her? And she said, yeah, sure. Fast forward a month later, she says to Rhea, look, what happened to that woman who was critiquing the class? I have a slot available for a professor, for a professor and I'd love to see if she's open. Wow. And they called me and I was just like, okay, sure. I'd love to, what do I have to do? Do I need to? So filled out an application. I had a meeting with Jessica who runs the department. The next week they were like, okay, so you your class is gonna be this. This is the time it's gonna be. I was like, wait, wait, we didn't, there was no process here. She was like, yeah, no, the job is yours. I just wanted to see, you know, 
where we were gonna like what class we were gonna like kind of push you into you know where your capabilities lie blah blah um and now i'm moving into my second year like seriously it just happens professor andrea i hope they say your name right <laughs> make sure they they just call me Amy at this point, which is, yeah, and, and I love putting memes and GIFs into my presentations. Oh, I love yeah. This is great. Um, shoot, I might need to sign up if I end up back in New York. <laughs> um, so, okay, so that, and, and what you're actually, like, the course is, is so, again, just, what were the chances based on, I mean, what's going on right now? Did you even imagine, like, I'm sure just like what you um, anticipated and what it's probably become? Because I'm sure it's just so much more heightened and it's like, we're in it right now. Like, yeah. more of like, yeah, we're in it. Like, we're experiencing it. Yeah. And I think. You know, there was a word that I used to make fun of um, everyone for using when I was at Red Bull, and it was pivot. We used to say pivot for everything. Oh, we just need to pivot this and pivot again, whatever. Um, but I feel like this year, um, you know, especially, you know, as a professor, I've had to pivot in ways that I wasn't anticipating at all. Mm -hmm. um, so each semester, I have different students. Some of my students have me for the whole year, you know, for both fall and spring because um, there are two components to the thesis program. Um, but it was interesting because they were all expecting to produce, you know, exhibitions, physical work, tangible work um, that kind of articulated their vision for their project. By February, I knew that this wasn't going to be the regular kind of year, that mm -hmm. something was going to happen. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but, um, and I didn't know we were going to go virtual completely. But I did say, you know, we need to start considering pivoting early. Mm -hmm. Let's start thinking about how we can reshape our vision, reshape our projects for the digital landscape instead. And um, while I'm teaching them that, I'm prepping myself too, because I'm doing it in real life. Right. Museum. Um, so it was really interesting because I have such a heart for these kids that you know i called in some friends and said hey i need you guys to give them some like inspiration before the end of the year because they're moving in they're graduating into this landscape they don't know if they're going to be able to have jobs like i need you guys to be there like their number one in their the first person in their network that they make mm. you know? mm -hmm. if your career is all about your network you got to be the first one right and i think i had like 10 people who were like i'm in they did presentations, um, you know, they kept in touch with some of the students. My students still contact me from last semester, and now I'm starting it all over again, completely online. Wow. Uh, so it's interesting because um, now I feel like I have a hang, I have the hang of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last semester was half, you know, half in person, half online. Now I'm in the space where I am feeling my way through. And I'm trying to teach them that skill. Yes. You know, feel your way through as opposed to kind of being rigid or being um, stuck to this expectation that may not pan out. Right. You know, um, and they're teaching me too. So, Very that. 
Very important skill. Yeah. Yeah, they should be thankful, you know, that you're forward thinking. Well, I mean, it seems like it's the current landscape, but not everyone is really, you know, it's, it's like you can either resist or you can embrace, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, okay. And then I have this one last question. So sure. what do you want your students to leave your class believing? Huh, that's a good question, actually. Um, well, one thing that's really important for me is that I need my students to know how to build a business by the time they leave my class. So I ensure that the way I kind of format my entire class is that they are building the building blocks of a business plan throughout the entire year. So by the end of the year, they have a business plan. Um, because a lot of art students or a lot of artists in general don't know the financial aspect of their business or the the practical um, uh, administrative stuff mm -hmm. that is required for their work. Um, so I wanted to make sure they have that. But I want them to believe that their work matters to their community and that they don't have to focus on just selling a million dollar art piece. Like you can have something to say and it can still be valuable and worth a pretty penny. Right. You know? um, so I'm trying to train them early in thinking about what spaces matter most to them and what is it that they have, what is it that they came here to say? Mm. You know? So important. Absolutely. And I think so many people, I think they should leave believing that. And I think that's like something that just translates. You know, we can all <laughs> use that. You know what I mean? Um, or adopt that. 